As I said earlier, tonight we have gathered together for the very special occasion of setting aside two men to serve as deacons to this body of believers. And tonight, much of the sermon will very much be directed to you two men. And, uh, but that doesn't mean that the rest of the congregation is left out. Uh, in fact, uh, you will be uh, hopefully encouraged as you hear what the role, not just of these two men, but of all deacons, uh, is meant to be and how you can support them in that calling. Doug and Jason, where you are concerned tonight, I want you to be challenged by the scriptures that we're going to see. I want you to be challenged to serve well in your upcoming role after the pattern that Christ himself has given to us and established. And so in order to do that tonight, I want us to look to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. It will be a familiar passage to many of you. We want to see how this applies to Christian ministry, Christian living, but especially to the service of deacons. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, Paul says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May God bless the reading of his word. From these verses, four directions emerge for all Christians, but especially for deacons in their ministry. So as we look at this passage, Doug and Jason, consider that these are the things that should mark your ministry as deacons in the coming months and years. Four things. First of all, we see that deacons should strive for unity in the church. Deacons should strive for unity in the church. In verses 1 through 2, Paul is beginning an impassioned, heartfelt appeal to the Philippians. And the if at the beginning can be a bit misleading if we're not prepared for it. It is not if as if. Paul is confused and uncertain about where the Philippians are in life. He's not casting doubt on their experience. In fact, just the opposite, he is trying to direct their thoughts to the fact that these things have actually happened in their life. They are God's people. And therefore, when he says if, it's very much saying because. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, if these things have been yours, says Paul, and I know that they have been, then your life should reflect it. If these things are yours, he says, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul wants the congregation to be unified. He wants there to be a unity of mind. That is, they're moving in the same direction with the same intent. They are in every sense of the word together with one another in their walk with God. Why is it so important? 
Why does, we, as we saw this morning, Jesus emphasizing unity and wanting it for his people? Paul now emphasizing unity among his people? Why is it so important? First of all, it's important because it gives a reflection of God himself. God exists in perfect, triune, perfection, completely unified in his being and purpose. There is no division. In fact, in many systematic theologies that you may come across, unity is actually listed as a character aspect of God himself, one of his attributes. Furthermore, part of the salvation God accomplishes through Christ is about bringing sinners together with God in unity and peace that we were at one time enemies with one another, uh, rebellious, sinful creations going against their holy, righteous creator. And yet the gospel brings us together. And so therefore, as a way to endorse the integrity of the gospel, to show its authenticity, we who have been made right with God are also to be made right with one another. There is to be a unity behind our lives. Christ and the gospel look more attractive to the world And that message is authenticated before them when God's people are living in unity. Jason and Doug, this means that your service to this church is not meant to be isolated just to the specific duties that you are asked to be carrying out or the specific needs that you are seeking to meet. Part of your ministry as a deacon to this church is found in your desire and your efforts to attain unity for God's people. That may mean losing an argument when you're right, or it may be stepping into an argument and seeking to bring peace. Regardless of the details of the deacon whose life has been transformed by the risen Christ, your very presence in this church should be one that encourages unity and peace and fellowship. Strive for that. Furthermore, church, your calling is to let them be an example to you. Come together with them for unity and pray for them in this regard. Pray that they would find encouragement in Christ. Pray that they would continue to receive comfort from the love of Christ. Pray that they would enjoy their participation in the life of Christ by the Spirit of Christ as they experience affection and sympathy from God. These things will give them the kind of renewed heart, the renewed affections that they need to serve with commitment and joy and bring unity to this body. Secondly, We see in verses 3 through 4 that deacons are to serve with love for the church. Deacons serve with love for the church. Paul says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In many ways, this is the key to having a unified church. It's the simple principle of displaying love for one another By thinking of them before you think of yourself. This is so simple and yet so profound because it cuts across the grain of our culture, even the grain of our soul. We are inherently selfish people. Rather than serving out of a sense of love for others, we serve as long as it's convenient. So when you get a phone call, and I'm no different, when you get a phone call and someone says, can you do this? Are you going to show up? Are you going to be a part of this? Your first thought is, will this build up the people of God? No, your first thought is usually, is this convenient for me? Is this going to fit with my schedule? Is this going to be helpful? Will this be easy? But Paul says those who have seen the great love with which God has loved them in sending the Son, that's the wrong question to ask. 
It's not a matter of convenience, but service. And that service is driven by loving God's people. And loving them, he says, means putting their needs before your own, putting their interests before your own. In fact, Paul says, what we all dread to hear, count others more significant than yourselves. Why do we dread that? Because, frankly, most of us think we are the most important person that we know. We live our lives as if that is the truth. But Paul says, you're not that important. Paul says, you're not that important. How do we serve the way that Paul envisioned? What are some practical things that we can do? I actually think, sometimes I think he's completely wrong, and I'm never quoting, but I think actually here Eugene Peterson in his commentary-like work, The Message, paraphrases these verses and actually is helpful. He says this, don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Jason and Doug, there are going to be there's going to be a temptation to get caught up in the title of deacon and to think highly of yourself because of the position and the measure of authority that you're being entrusted with in this church. And there's going to be a temptation for your service and your life in this body to be driven by what's easy or convenient, but you've got to resist that temptation. And the way to resist is by remembering that Christ himself counted your need of salvation as more significant than his right to glory in heaven. Remember that Christ took on flesh, veiling his eternal glory to die an agonizing death under the judgment of God for you. Just as the love of the Father for you is seen in the service of Christ, so also your love for the church should be seen in your service to them. And you, church, do not forget Do not forget when you look at these men that every act of service, every late night, every long drive, every yes to your request for help is a sign of their love for you. Love them in return. Pray for them. Give thanks for them. And seek to serve alongside them. Third, in verses 5 through 8, we see that deacons, deacons are to sacrifice in humility for the church. Deacons are to sacrifice in humility for the church. Paul has mentioned the idea of humility in verse 3, but in verses 5 through 8, he goes into the very depths of humility. Not only showing the basis for our own humility as Christians, but the ultimate example of how we should live in humility. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul says the way to achieve unity, the way to serve with love, is found in gazing at Christ himself. Paul wants the Philippians to follow the Lord's example. What example? His display of humility that leads to sacrifice for others. The display of an infinitely glorious being laying aside that glory to give up his life for sinners. Do you understand the weight of glory that Christ gave up? Do do you understand what what that actually is? We get a sense of it tucked away in John's account of Jesus' uh, betrayal and arrest that give us just a glimpse into the glory of Christ. John tells us what the others leave out, and that is when the soldiers come for Jesus... He asks, who are you seeking? And they say, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. Now our translations often have, I am the one you seek. But in in the Greek, it's just, I am. And in fact, John tells us the soldiers fall to the ground as Jesus utters the divine name. 
Now, I'm just curious, where was that in the Passion? Come on. I mean, I would have liked to have seen that. We're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. I, I, I am. Boom, they're all down. I mean, it, it's the smallest hint of this glory of Christ. That should he have desired to reveal himself in the fullness of his glory, he could have easily brought the whole world to its knees. It's glory shining forth, the brightness and the fullness of his sovereign power, his divine being, his perfect righteousness, his eternal wisdom, his endless beauty, his enduring love. And that glory was laid aside as he took on flesh and dwelt among his people, sinful, rebellious, needy people whose only hope was his coming as a savior to bring them to God. Jesus went from the throne room of heaven to dusty roads of Palestine. Jesus is the very embodiment of humility as he came to sacrifice himself for his people. And Paul says, have that same mindset of humility among yourselves, even as you see it in him. In other words, follow the example of your king. Jason and Doug, just as Christians, but especially as deacons, this is the kind of passage that you should dwell in. Here we are taken into the depths of the ministry of Christ as the suffering servant, humbling himself under the mighty hand of God for the love of his heavenly father and his people. This is not simply the beginnings of the gospel and all its beauty, but a clear direction for living the gospel-centered life. Take the simple step of writing this down on a card or snapping a photo of the text with your iPhone, whichever you choose to do is okay, but keep it with you. Meditate on it. Believe it. Embrace it. Obey it. Make it your life. Crossway, as you see them embracing this text and how they live, as you see them imitating the humility of Christ as they serve you, follow their lead. Imitate them even as they seek to imitate Christ. Finally, deacons seek the glory of Christ in the church. Deacons seek the glory of Christ in the church. In verses 9 through 11, Paul completes the testimony of the gospel that he began in verses 5 through 8. As significant as the cross of Christ is, no less important is the resurrection of Christ. For without the resurrection, the cross is devoid of power. It's meaningless unless Christ has raised back from the dead. And here Paul says it is precisely because of the willingness of Christ to be obedient to God the Father and humble himself in the offering up of his life for sin, not just in any death, but even the, uh, the most scornful, the most ridiculed, the most humiliating death, death on a cross. It's because he did this, verse 9, that God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The glory that Christ veiled in order to be the Savior of his people was restored to him after his resurrection. But in an even greater way. How is this the case? He was, he was God before. He was fully God. How is his glory different? How is it better? I can't answer that question. All I know is before the coming of Christ, no one bowed at the name of Christ. His name was not known except among God himself. And yet now that he has come, now that he has come in obedience to the Father, now that he has given up his life and he's been raised from the dead, now the Father gives him ultimate privilege and glorification. He is seeking to glorify his Son, not just in being, but in very name. 
Peter says there is no other name under heaven given among men and the earth by which men may be saved. It is that name of Christ now that to which every knee will one day bow, whether they want to or not. On the final day, those that have followed him in this life, those that have trusted in him and joyfully bowed the knee, they will more gladly do so on that final day. But for those who have rejected Christ, for those who have rebelled against him, though begrudgingly, though hatefully, they will be forced to bow the knee and acknowledge he is the sovereign Lord. Therefore, God has given him this new dimension to the perfection of his glory, that God the Father is glorified through the glory of the Son and him being made Lord of all things where every knee should bow. Two things should be made of note here. First, the resurrection and exaltation of Christ should motivate our humility just as much as his incarnation and death. Remember, it's not in our name that anybody bows. And if we're seeking that, We are terribly mistaken. It is the name of Christ that every knee will bow. And part of our humbling comes in joyfully bowing the knee, recognizing his rightful lordship and obediently following him. And secondly, we should realize that this is the goal of God, namely that Christ be glorified. This is the great aim to which everything in the world is moving towards. Everything has been working according to God's plan that his son, Jesus Christ, might be magnified, might be lifted up, might be shown to be the great and glorious Savior King that he is. Therefore, Doug and Jason, this should be your great aim as well. This should be the great end point of your life that everything that you do, including how you serve as a deacon, should be to the glory of God. Of Christ, You should desire that people not look at you and heap up praise for how you have served them and sacrificed for them, but rather that they would exalt the name of your Savior, Jesus. How do we do this? How do we come to the place where we can, we can honestly say, I do not seek my own glory, but I seek the Lord's? I think Ray Ortland says it the simplest. He says this, stare at the glory of Christ until you see it. Stare, think about what he's saying there. Stare at the glory of Christ until until you see it. In other words, keep looking at Jesus. Keep seeing him as the one who deserves glory, and eventually your soul will snap, and you will see him for the glorious being that he is. And it will be the most natural, amazing, joyful thing to see him glorified. You may intellectually know it now, but in your heart, in your affections, you may not feel it. You may not desire it, but keep staring at Christ. Keep looking to him. Keep meditating on the glory that is his being until your heart breaks free and your only desire is to see him glorified. Dear church, pray for these men. Pray that they themselves would delight in the Lord. Pray that they would remember and embrace the words of John the Baptist who said of Christ, he must increase, but I must decrease. Pray that they do this by fixing their eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith. And so come to seek his glory in the church. The call to be a deacon is a high calling. It is a privilege and a responsibility that should be treasured. But the highness of the calling doesn't come through the position and the authority, but through humble, loving service that seeks the unity of God's people for the glory of Christ. Heavenly Father, that is our prayer tonight for these two men. 
for these two men who are my friends, as you have called them to serve in this capacity, that you would so remind them of the gospel truths that they have believed. That, Father, they would come to all the more cherish and enjoy the glory of your Son. That, Father, the gospel that they know and have seen, the principles of humility and sacrifice, of loving service for your people, that these things would become the very fabric of their lives. They would not even hesitate or give a second thought to imitating Jesus in loving and serving and even sacrificing for your people. Father, you alone can change the heart in this way. You alone can cause someone to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so we pray that you do that tonight, God. We pray that you would do this not simply for them as Christians, as your people, but God, especially as they serve you and this body as deacons. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.